Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Career Services Assistant Director Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And our lovely guest today, please welcome... I'm Allison Hoffman. I'm the AVP of Admissions and Student Success here at Northwest. Welcome, Welcome. Allison. <laughs> yeah, so glad to be here. Excited. I've seen the great work you guys have been doing and looking forward to joining. So let's go way, way back in time. Right? <laughs> Please tell us. We know, I mean, I know you've been here for a long time. Tell us the story of Allison. So, you know, when I think about Northwest um, and I think about my journey to Northwest, I don't know really life without Northwest, if that makes sense. So um, growing up in Maryville, uh, Northwest was a big part of just who I was in terms of I can remember being, um, I think, three or four years old and down in the bottom lower level of Lampkin, it used to have a slanted track and my dad would run and exercise down there and I would just kind of run around or, you know, do whatever to, to kill some time uh, while he exercised as part of, you know, as a community member. So some of my childhood memories include Northwest. And, um, you know, I really just, I think that that is what makes Northwest such a special place for so many of us is it, it is really more than a job, more than a career for us. But obviously from going to Northwest and finishing my undergrad and uh, my grad degree here, I then left and kind of moved away for a bit and um, came back to Maryville. Unfortunately, my dad was um, sick with cancer and wanted to spend time with family um, and as much time with him as I could. And so I worked uh, at the hospital in town doing community relations and marketing. And uh, previous to that, I was a corporate trainer. And so I traveled around the country and I spoke in front of large groups of people and things. And so I actually reached out as, you know, we say we make a lot of relationships here at Northwest with faculty. And um, Dr. Jim Walker was one of my professors. And he at the time was uh, the chair of the School of Business. Um, well, now the School of Business was formerly the Marketing Management Department. And I just said, hey, Dr. Walker, I'm back in town. Um, if you ever need someone to teach an adjunct class, I'm interested. I you know, had finished my master's and I had done the corporate training thing. And as you both know, if you don't use presentation skills, they, uh, they leave you pretty quickly. And so I had just basically reached out to ask about that because I had become pretty comfortable speaking in front of others but I didn't want to lose that. And so um, that's kind of how I found my journey back. He got a hold of me in uh, late July and said, can you teach an eight o'clock principles and management class um, this <laughs> semester? And I was working full-time at the hospital. I said, let me check with them. They said, sure, go ahead. As long as you, you know, you work that out in your schedule. Um, and the rest is kind of history for me in terms of I, I did that, um, really enjoyed it. And then that led to, to being hired on full-time as an instructor I'm in the Department of Marketing Management the, the next year. Did you ever consider not going to Northwest as, a, as an undergraduate student? Yeah, I actually didn't start at Northwest. So I started my first two years at the University of Kansas. Um, I'll be honest, I was the uh, Maryville High School student that thought I am not going to Northwest. Everybody <laughs> is going to Northwest. Um, I am not going to Northwest. And so I think about now where I'm at in my career and the college journey and, and how you end up different places and why you end up different places. And so for me, um, I started at the University of Kansas. I loved college basketball. And as you guys know, college basketball at KU is 
second to none. Secondly, I wanted to go close to home, but not too far either. And so, or sorry, close to home, but then I also wanted to be away a little bit. Well, Lawrence is only an hour and 50 minutes away. So in terms of a large school nearby, <laughs> it really kind of fit the bill and I liked it. Um, so, you know, I went for it. I will say I grew up a lot going and making that decision to attend somewhere else. But when I think about my education and the connections and the relationships I made, you can't even compare the two at Northwest. It was so much more of that one-on-one personal attention, not a number, getting to know your faculty members, helping you find internships, thinking about what you want to do next. My first class at the University of Kansas um, had a thousand people in it. Being from Maryville, I looked around going, what on earth is happening? One tenth of the whole town is in this is in this beautiful <laughs> lecture hall. Um, so, you know, I think there's um, definitely, we all are on a different journey and life takes you on different journeys. And it was uh, good for me to go and have that experience. But I also uh, am even more thankful for my time and my education at Northwest from that. Did you know you wanted to be a business major? Did you start as a business major? Oh, no, no. Um, I was pre-pharmacy, uh, pre-pharmacy major. <laughs> <Of course>. um, <laughs> so I always think about, again, when you think about like, as I'm now in the world of trying to predict what 18 year olds are going to like and think about, you know, trying to get them to choose Northwest. I think, again, I chose a school based upon college basketball and how far away from home. And I chose a major because my dad's best friend was a pharmacist and he was a hoot in such a great time and seemed to love work every day. Well, little did I know that's just his personality. It really has nothing to do with the line of work he's in per se. So, um, you know, I think those are are things that you definitely learn along the way, but I was pre-pharmacy and then I was sport management and then I was business, you know, kind of was all over the place. So I would say very similar, um, which is why I constantly remind my friends and parents today that it's okay if your students don't know exactly what they want to do. Most of us aren't doing exactly what we thought we would do at age 18 either. I'm interested. You mentioned corporate training, and that's such an interesting job. How did you get into that? And kind of what, what would you think of that gig? Um, when I finished my MBA, I you know was looking for employment in Kansas City, and I was living in the Northland, the Northland area. Um, and, you know, I was just looking at opportunities and I thought, well, I really like to work with people and I like to travel. And so there was this, you know, position, um, the, the company was feral gas. And so you might know of them from the propane company, but their corporate headquarters were in Liberty and, um, they were really growing at the time and rolling out technology to be used in the field. So they had gone from drivers kind of just deciding I'm going to stop by the Johnson's house over here and the Martins over here and this to here's my route. And here's what I'm going to do on that particular day. Um, I also liked technology. I liked working with technology. So I felt like it was a pretty good fit. Um, and, and, you know, just kind of that excitement of being able to go and see some of the country and figure things out, um, was, was good. It was, it was definitely, um, a little bit, I, I always think about my time a little bit like the office when they say someone from corporate is here. So I got to have that experience of like, oh, the, you know, at that time I was, I think 22, 23 years old. So it's like the younger gal from corporates here, you know, to tell us how to use the technology. So again, um, grew up a lot though, got to see a lot of parts of the country that I never thought I would. Um, Also really did it all on my own. So our equipment was all shipped there. We booked everything. 
We had to schedule everything. We had to set up the agenda. We had to plan our travel. So there was a lot of autonomy in the work too, which I look back now, I didn't really realize because I was just told that's how you're going to do it. But I think there's some real positives that came out of that. I had to figure all that out on my own and then troubleshoot as we were talking about when we first came on troubleshooting kind of, you know, and planning for a backup and what am I going to do if this doesn't work? And so a lot of good, um, skills that definitely I've been able to take from that role and, and move into other um, positions too. Yeah. That's great training for higher ed. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And teaching of all, you know, too, your different situations, different groups of people, and you got to share yeah. the information and definitely had to, had to everyone from a, someone else first starting at the company to people who'd worked at the company for 50 years to learn how to use you know, this new um, handheld computer device, basically, that was telling him what to do. So um, yeah, it, it was definitely uh, something that that I learned a lot from. How was the corporate training, or maybe it wasn't, how was it different than teaching in a classroom? Did you like teaching in a classroom as well? Um, I definitely loved teaching. And I really think while they are two different you know, atmospheres, if you want to say in terms of sometimes I was in a hotel room or a corporate meeting room or whatever it might be doing the corporate training. Um, The teaching, you know, is really teaching, though, it was really very similar. The difference is that I had the same kind of agenda and the same thing I was teaching at every stop along the way. Whereas, you know, um, but I did have to, as you guys mentioned, I did have to think about like, this isn't going very well with this group of people. How am I going to switch it up? How am I going to get this group of people who, you know, aren't real excited to see the girl from corporate who are here? Others are a little bit more excited about it. How am I going to, how am I really going to um, go about this so that we get a good outcome at the end? That I think definitely was a very easy transition then to the classroom, just in a different way though. Obviously in the classroom, you've got 50 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes um, to go over a set material. But you do have to think about the dynamics of the class and who's in the class and how are you going to help that group succeed? And ask anyone who's taught. um, And I think they'll tell you, you can teach the same thing at nine o'clock and the same thing at 10 o'clock. And it will go completely differently just based upon the dynamics of the people in the class to, you know, how that activity went. Are they still tired? Is it close to lunch? Is it, you know, whatever it might be. And so I think, again, I was able to transfer a lot of those skills from corporate training to the classroom for a pretty easy, you know, a pretty easy um, transition. I think the difference, the big difference would have been preparing for each class period is different than preparing for the same thing you're going to train on over a two or three day span, if that makes sense. Because obviously the course material was a little bit <laughs> different every single day and and um, prepping for that. But But definitely, I think it was something that I found through the corporate training that I was, I enjoyed it, but I was also pretty, you know, pretty decent at it from that, that perspective. And maybe something I I never thought I ever would have done. So now you've transitioned, you're, you're not in the classroom as, as much, I'm sure you still are occasionally, but you really do more kind of administrative kind of work at Northwest. Do you want to talk about kind of the, the transition from in the classroom, teaching those business classes at 8am to what you do now? So I think about the transition and the transition happened kind of slowly, if that makes sense, because I, you know, I was teaching and then I started taking on little administrative pieces, you know, whether it was a provost fellow or when I did the first year seminar program, our university seminar program, 
that's administrative type work, but yet I was still really a faculty member during that time. And so it was a little bit of a way to determine, do I like this type of work or do I just want to be in the classroom? Um, and I think, you know, what was was good about that was I got to keep doing the, the teaching, but then see whether I enjoyed the administrative work. Um, from there, you know, I, I did move on to a provost fellow. And then as we really put our focus and efforts on retention and student success, I did a kind of a pilot launch of that unit. Um, and it was really, it was great for me when I think about what I was super passionate about, because I was very, very passionate about the student success, um, retention, persistence, completion work. And that opportunity then allowed me to take kind of my connections and background and understanding on the faculty side and be able to um, use that to help launch our first year advising and success coaching program um, together. And I think anytime you have a change, as you guys know, um, at an institution, it can be a challenge. But I think what we really wanted to do was show, hey, these advisor coaches are not um, meant to replace any of the good work that's happening in the departments. This is to be a supplement to that and to really be a bridge to help those students who um, need to find someone, you know, not just seven hours of the week um, during office hours, but they really are needing someone to go to, you know, all the time. So it allowed us to focus on helping students with that transition, but also connect them with their department and their school because our first year advisor coaches are embedded in the academic areas. And each of them have a discipline um, that they are, you know, working closely with or a few different disciplines. And so I think, you know, having that, that faculty background allowed me to kind of understand what are the challenges going to be with launching this? Um, how can we really work together to ensure that it is supplementing and not replacing, if that makes sense, the work that's going on in the departments. Um, and that then led to um, I've been now in my current role as ABP of Admissions and Student Success for about the last year and a half. So I've kind of moved um, through the ranks, but I do very, I, I miss the classroom. I miss teaching um, students in the classroom and I miss working um, as closely with students probably is the, the number one difference. But I have to realize everything I'm doing in my current role is for students. It just looks a little different than it did uh, when I was in the classroom or was when, when I was in my director role. Where did the passion for retention and student success come from? I think it came, it definitely came from working on the first year experience stuff. So when I think about um, helping students transition to, to the university and thinking about just how much of a transition that really is, you know, you think about, you have, you have your parents who are, you know, looking over every single thing you do <laughs> until you're 17 or 18 years old. And then, uh, oh, okay, go figure it out. Yeah, go talk to people and just ask questions. And, um, you know, I, I started to, to really understand the magnitude of that, I think, that transition and just how important it was. And really, um, you know, I think the first year experience stuff made me realize, too, that that's a continuous transition that not just happens the first year, but then there's other things the second year and the third year. And and so on. So um, I think that that's when I really started to get that passion. Um, but I've always been very invested in advising and student success and things like that. So I think it kind of all came together. And you've been very successful. So, you know, the, the record size, class sizes and, you know, retention, do you want to talk about maybe some of the results that you've seen since you've been doing that? First, I want to say it's it's not, it's definitely not just me. It's a total team <laughs> effort. So I, I definitely am 
you know, while I probably have the title of leading those things, um, we cannot reach retention or recruitment goals just with me. It's very much, you know, the whole university, the whole community being welcoming, all of that kind of comes into to play when we when we do um you know, talk about those milestones that we reach, if you will, and those records maybe that we get to. You know, I think um, the retention work, if we think about when we launched that in 2017, we have seen record retention rates the entire time through. Um, I think that really is good to see because we are very intentional about what we wanted to accomplish. So we wanted to accomplish, you know, we had seven out of, of 10 students were staying, three students were leaving. If you want to look at it that way, you know, we were hovering around 65 to 70% retention. That's not horrible compared to some peers, but there's always things that we can do um, to improve. And so it was nice to see that we were able to be intentional about what we wanted to accomplish, which was increased retention and then see that payoff. I think there's a lot of things that went into play to reach those again. And we had our first year advising coaching model um, in 2017 that we launched campus-wide. So all first-year students had a professional advisor coach to assist them. We also revised our scholarship model, though, to focus more on retention and completion instead of just money coming in. Um, That was very difficult for students to retain those scholarships. So I think there is a number, and those are just a couple of examples, but I do think it was um, kind of a holistic campus-wide, hey, we want to to do this, and and we've seen that um, pay off. One thing, though, I would like to mention, um, because I think it's important to say, yeah, we've seen some success, but there's always work to be done. Um, And that work would be, you know, we're still losing students second to third year, though, and beyond some of that we're going to. It's we have a lot of pre-professional programs, as you all know, working in career services. We're never going to keep those students because we don't offer that degree for them to complete here. Um, but we do still have room for growth and still trying to figure out, hey, we got first year to second year pretty well down, but what can we do second year to third year and so on to ensure that students complete? So I think um, the work is never done. And you you guys know that too, no matter if your you know career outcomes are 99%, it's like, well, what about the 1%? And how can we better message and communicate with them? So it's very much the same <laughs> in terms of, of that. Um, On the enrollment side, you know, I think, again, we've used strategic planning at the institution to think about what we want to accomplish. And, you know, five, six, seven years ago, there were decisions made that said we want to diversify our enrollment from, you know, 95% on campus, 5% online to more of a, you know, 80-20 split or something along those lines. I'm not going to get those quite right. I wasn't in my current role at the time, so I I don't have all that down. Really, we've blown past that, as you guys know, and we're now seeing even more students that are coming to Northwest for online programs. Now, I think we're back to uh, we've got to right size that because our campus environment and the campus footprint that we have is so important for for Maryville, um, for the Northwest Missouri region and so on, that we want to make sure that our campus environment is thriving and it is a a place that students want to come and they want to um, be able to really get that full campus experience that we talk about. And that's everything from student organizations, you know, to speakers, to internships, to whatnot in the profession-based piece. So I think we'll continue to, to, you know, um, see things shift a little bit and figure out what our right size is, but I definitely think that um, our campus community is very supportive and very understanding of just how important enrollment um, and our student success metrics are to the institution as a whole. 
you you mentioned right sizing, but you have that beautiful background. <laughs> it's just <laughs> Northwest. And I don't think people realize this unless they actually physically come here, especially at a time of year when it's beautiful, like that photo. My first campus visit to Northwest was December the 6th. So it was brown and it was windy and it was cold and it was just awful. But one thing that people don't realize is this, unless they come here again, is this is a amazingly beautiful um, campus and it is a state arboretum as well. So just thank thank you for using that as your background so you could sort of illustrate that for us. Yeah, definitely. Um, we always say, you know, when we can get students and families to campus, we have such a great chance at really locking them in to be Bearcats. And part of it is just what you said. It is how beautiful the campus is, but it's also um, that family-like feel, um, that, you know, seeing others truly support one another, going on the campus tour and talking about all the benefits, it really, really um, is an important piece. And so, you know, of course, with COVID, as with anything, we've seen tour numbers decline. I mean, there was periods of time where we couldn't even have people here, of course, um, for that. And so we've set some pretty lofty goals to get our tour and visit um, visits back up over the 5,000 mark. We, we were over the 4,000 mark this last year again. So getting back towards pre-COVID, but we'd really like to even get back to really the full pre-COVID numbers um, because of what you just said, Hannah, it's so critical um, to get people here to really see how beautiful campus is, but also the wonderful support systems um, and programs and offerings we have for that full comprehensive university experience at Northwest. Thinking again about retention, you mentioned, you know, things went well and, you know, the, the first year retention has gone really well. Is there, I know every student's different, but is there, is there really kind of, what, what do you think has attributed the most to that? Is it the success coaching and the kind of personalized attention? Is it the fact that we're just checking in more often to see if they're okay? What do you think has really made the difference there? I think it's a number of things. Um, I, I think for one, there's a group of people that are responsible for knowing what is going on with our first year students, um, how many times they've met with them, where they're at, are they in an organization? Do they have a campus job? Are they ready to transition earlier to, you know, a faculty advisor because they brought in 50 dual credit hours. So um, I think being being intentional about having a caseload of, of students and understanding what's going on. Now, does that mean every advisor is gonna, you know, know everything under the sun about every student? No, but we also know, hey, we've, you know, we've seen 80% of our students by this point, who are the 20%? How can we engage with them? What can we do um, to do that? And, you know, I think that that is, that's definitely a big piece of it. But I also think if we think about advising um, and success coaching and, and the changes in that, I think about when I just started as a faculty member, advising was strictly, here's your five classes you need to take. If you take these and you pass these classes, you should be good to go the next semester. We'll meet again once a semester. We'll see if you're on track. We'll figure out when you're going to graduate. It's so much more complex now. Our students are coming from very complex backgrounds where we're having to figure out not only you know, what they need to do to, to um, renew a scholarship, but how they're going to find employment and how that employment is going to fit around their class schedule and how can they get back home to help care for a sibling. And it's just a much more complex situation than it, than it used to be for many, many of our students. And um, we're seeing fewer and fewer students just be able to come here and just go to school and not work instead because of, you know, the cost of higher ed, even though we're so focused on affordability and that piece. 
our students, though, have to work. They have to figure out, you know, how to balance everything. Um, and so it's it's just a lot more work. Um, and, and not that it wasn't work and not that it wasn't important work 15, 16, 17, 25 plus years ago. I think it's just it's just different. It's it's just much more complex in terms of what it takes to truly retain a student um, these days. It takes an understanding um of everything that's going on in their, you know, kind of in their world from a family matter to an academic and something that's happening outside of the classroom impacting their ability to be successful in the classroom and how do we help you tackle that and I will be your go-to person and I will help you, you know, kind of work through that. So I I really think to me that's what I would say is it's a it's a group of people whose, you know, sole um, purpose, responsibility, whatever you might want to say is to know what's happening with that group of students and to to really aid in any way possible. Can we talk about briefly, you mentioned presentation skills at the beginning, some other skill sets that you think are really important, uh, you know, thinking through, of course, career services, internships, getting jobs, like maybe just a handful of skill sets that you see that you think are important. So one that might be a little different than what you guys normally hear, but it's something I've really kind of tried to hone in on recently is the ability to really um, pay attention, to read the room, to know when the right timing is to ask and to interject and to engage in certain conversations. I think that's a skill that takes some time to learn, but it is important for people to have an understanding that there's probably a time, I'm not always going to say the right time to interject or to challenge or to whatnot, but there's also a time when it's it's not the right time. And, and I think that because of COVID, because of the way things have changed, uh, it's, it's different to know how to best communicate with groups of people. And so I kind of would take that one step further and figure out every relationship I have, you know, um, whether it be with, with people that kind of are on the teams that I lead or just others on campus, everybody communicates differently. Everybody prefers different things. Everybody um, can take things a little bit differently. And so knowing and really learning who the people are that you're working with, but how to also work best with them. And there are some people that you can be very direct and just say, (laughs) this is what I feel about this. And um, let's talk about it. And there are other people that it's not the right time and it's not going to be the right, you know, but I think that's just something that I would encourage all of our students to at least be cognizant of. I'm, I think there is an art, art to it a little bit and there's a, you know, there's a, it's something you learn with experience, but I definitely think coming in as a brand new employee and always just interjecting every thought can be a, a, a negative in some ways, but also you don't want to be the newer employee that's never sharing your opinion in that. So it's figuring out what's the best way to do that. Is there a way in a one-on-one meeting that's better? Is it a small group meeting? I think that's just something that I would encourage people to think about for sure is how to kind of learn that art. I really don't know if it's a skill as there's, as it's an art that you have to, to get to. So I think that um, is definitely one and that feeds into the communication skills, which I think are always uh, really, really important. I think my other thing is that you have to figure out how to be successful in your own manner. And so it's not always going to be someone making a plan for you. That's like, here's how we're going to get you to the next track. Like, this is how we're going to get to this next threshold. Yes. I think leaders can, can do that. They can help with that. But I also feel like um, for many of us, especially at an institution like ours, 
um, we're so thin in resources and that. And sometimes that development and coaching and that is something that we want to do more of, but we don't necessarily have the time to do more of it. And so I also think being a self-starter and thinking about where do I want to be and how can I get there? And then taking that to your supervisor or your leader and saying, here's kind of what I'm thinking, like, this is where I'd like to be in three, five, seven, 10 years. Do you have suggestions for me or feedback for me? Um, I think it's probably a more meaningful way to do that now, because I, I think sometimes in, in institutions or organizations, wherever it might be, it's just um, a little bit of a lost art and having people time that are just focused on helping develop solely develop. So I think you have to take it internally to want to develop yourself and think about maybe what that looks like and then take that plan to your leaders and say, what would you add to this? Because I think that's always going to be really good conversation also shows that you've thought about where you want to be moving forward and aren't just thinking of this job as just now, you know, and thinking about who, who you want to be in the future. What advice do you have for students? So obviously, you know, as a professor, you worked with students directly. Now, you know, kind of in your administrative role, you kind of work holistically with the group of students to be successful. What do you, what advice do you have for them on how to be successful, how to be retained, how to, you know, reach those goals? I think sometimes when we graduate students, um, they want to have that hundred thousand dollar job, you know, job right out, right out of the shoot. And I think about where we've probably all come and how we've gone. It's taking a position that maybe you didn't think you were going to take and weren't sure what you were going to get from that and thinking about how can I use this to prepare me for the future. So again, I, you know, I, I thought my job coming out of grad school was cool. It was okay, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't maybe like the best thing under the sun. But then I think about without that, I probably wouldn't have gotten a job to teach adjunct and that wouldn't have then led to teaching full-time and led kind of from there. So I think it's okay for people to be willing to step outside of their comfort zone and um, to consider a position. Maybe it's a position, you know, you're not going to be at, or you don't think you're going to be at long-term. Um, but again, I think all of us can say we aren't exactly where we thought we were going to be when we were 22 years old. Um, so I, I just would encourage students to, you know, be willing to take some risks, think about some positions that maybe are outside of what they thought they were going to want to do, because you can always learn skills from those positions that can help you in other positions down the road. And I also think realizing the importance of connections and how you know, it is three degrees of separation, it seems like go with the LinkedIn principle of, oh my gosh, I know this person that knows this person. So even if it is a position that you aren't really enjoying or you're not loving, it's really important to do your best and bring your personal best every day because you will likely have connections and people that will follow you from that into other work. And so those connections are you know, really important um, as you kind of continue to move through things. And I think the last thing I would say is just really think along the way about who you want to be and what you hope to accomplish and set goals for yourself and then use those goals for conversations with your leaders, with your supervisors um, and have them help. How can I get here? What is something they note that maybe I think is a strength, but they might think I still have some room for improvement on that and be open and willing to that kind of feedback. Because I think all of us know our strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes we may not love, and I say weaknesses, but let's say opportunities for improvement. <laughs> we all have opportunities for improvement, but being willing to address what those are and then think about how you can 
continue to improve on those little opportunities for improvement so that they maybe aren't quite as obvious as they once were. I mean, we all have them. We all, that's what makes the world go round, right? As, as some people are very creative, others are very driven and organized and are seen a different way. So we all have to kind of work together on those, but those would be my, my tips. Whew, that was really good. <laughs> I'm writing down. I'm taking notes over here. <laughs> yeah. All, All right. right. Any last words of advice, encouragement, um, anything at all? No, I think um, just to to any listeners out there, I I think you know I look um, I look back at my wall and it says the only person you are is the one you're destined to become, and so I think really encourage everybody to think about um, what you hope to accomplish and become, and and what your kind of legacy. Um, is and and know that we are all we all could benefit from being lifelong learners. So to ever think that we're just kind of done learning would be. I know I hear a lot of students say, "I'm done. I'm never going back to school." And I think about you might not be going back and sitting in the classroom, but uh, to be successful, you really have to continue to be a lifelong learner. So that would be just kind of a um, my ending parting words is um, to think about who you want to become and, and really think about how to continue to be a lifelong learner to, to get there in the end. Solid advice. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. It was very nice to join and um, I enjoy the work you're doing. So keep up the great work. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat and we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.